0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou White.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're excited to be here with you on this Tuesday, where we are going to be talking about green manufacturing, which to me is a really cool topic. Uh, When I was in college, I was in the school of agriculture, so I was uh, always looking at these kinds of subjects and how the earth can be more sustainable if we we do our manufacturing right. So we have three guests on today that we're going to be talking about that subject, very knowledgeable people who are hands-on with green manufacturing. Before we go to them, I'd like to go to my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, how are you today?
2: I'm doing great. Uh, And I'd also like to ask, what else was there to do in Wisconsin when you were in those years other than watch (laughs) the green?
1: Yeah, well, you could either watch the uh, grass grow or the cars rust. Uh,
2: Okay, and uh, on that note, uh, I'll give a little... What do you got in news? (laughs) Well, uh, let's talk about last week's show, a little bit of a postscript. We did have... uh, uh, the May Pi Foundation on with uh, Daniel Mechstra, who, uh, is who uh, is vice president and chief economist of the foundation, and uh, a very intelligent uh, gentleman who puts together a report called the U.S. Industrial Outlook Report. It comes out every quarter. And uh, actually, we plan on having uh, either Mr. Mextra or Uh, Cliff Waldman, who is the Senior Economist and Council Director for Pi Foundation. So they're going to be a regular every uh, every quarter, and uh, we look forward to having them uh, giving us the forecasts of uh, U.S. financial uh, situations. Um, News. Well, we had a very timely event that happened yesterday, and uh, Tim and I have been talking about XM Bank and the fact that it was not reauthorized, uh, the chartership wasn't reauthorized. And yesterday, lo and behold, we got a vote out of the Senate, and they voted in favor. And the vote was 64-29 uh, to reauthorize. Here's the problem. The House... The House is not really in favor of it. Tom Cruise and others like him uh, are going to object, and they're going to do everything they can to make sure that the bill, when it arrives there, is DOA. So we'll see how that uh, plays out, but it plays a very big role here in the United States in our economy, especially for the small to medium-sized companies who are using XM funding to be able to do business on a plane level playing field uh, in foreign countries. So we'll just have to wait and see how they play out or what kind of bad deal they might be able to put together to get it passed. Uh, Tim, back to you.
1: Thanks, Lou. Uh, I am uh, going to introduce uh, three very distinguished people who have agreed to join our show today. We're very glad to have them on talk about green manufacturing. I'm going to start with Danny Mischak, who is managing director and co-owner of Selfco. Danny's been on the show before talking about another company, Visitech. Danny, how are you today?
3: I'm doing great. It's uh, very nice to be back on, both you, Tim, and Lou. And it's uh, pronounced Self-Eco.
1: Self-Eco. And I think the website is selfeco.com. Is that right, Danny?
3: Correct. Thank you.
1: You bet. And we also have with us Kate Bachman, who's editor at the Sustainable Manufacturing Network. Kate, how are you today?
4: I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on your show, Lou and Tim. No
1: problem. We're excited to have you. And our third guest is David Podmeyrski, who's Chief Sustainability Officer of Earth Color, one of the largest commercial printers in the U.S. How are you doing, David?
5: Great, Lou. Tim, glad to be here.
1: Great, great. Let me go to you first, Danny. Um you know, green manufacturing is something you've been involved with uh, for quite a while. You're hands-on. You actually produce products that are environmentally friendly. What, for our listeners, is, can you give a definition of, green manufacturing?
3: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very tough one to define. So The way we look at it at Self Eco and the other company, the manufacturing company of Vista Tech, is we look at defining that as making either green products or using green technology that's either energy efficient or mainstream or being preventative for maintenance and strategic or even having green facilities or campuses. I think we take all that into consideration about your final footprint being a little more green. So you can make a green product using very non-green methods and that might not it may not be the best method uh, for end product. So it's kind of a blend of both green products, green technology, and a green facility.
2: Oh,
1: okay. Uh, Kate, as uh, editor of uh, the Sustainable Manufacturer Network, first, what is the Sustainable Manufacturer Network?
4: Oh, thank you for asking me. We are a media group and professional organization of sustainable manufacturers. Uh, we, our mission is to help manufacturers put sustainability to work in their plants and operations. So we're we're really uh, in an assist mode, and we offer. Um, uh, monthly easing, periodic regular workshops such as our Zero Waste to Landfill workshop in September at Bridgestone. And um, we have, our, of course, a website with a wealth of information for manufacturers that are looking to be sustainable or more sustainable.
5: Okay.
1: Uh, David is Chief Sustainability Officer of EarthCo. Uh, give us kind of a feel for EarthCo because you, I'm sorry, EarthColor. You folks have received a lot of awards for what you're doing as one of the largest commercial printers in the U.S. Give us kind of a quick uh, elevator pitch on EarthColor and what, uh, how you folks fall into that green manufacturing arena. Yeah,
5: yeah sure. EarthColor is in the graphic communications business, so we are the back end. Uh, everything after, you know, we'll take it from the agency or the corporate communications group and do all the manufacturing fulfillment of ad campaigns Uh, Packaging, corporate communications, um, do a lot of printing, a lot of electronic media, and obviously, you know, we consume a lot of paper and, hence, trees for a living. Uh, So you might think, uh, you know, being a sustainable printer is an oxymoron, but once you look at uh, kind of flipping this conversation on its head to uh, being a force for good in the world and building sustainable supply chains all the way back to managing sustainable forests, Uh, you can see there's a very different view of looking at the world and and industry and manufacturing in general.
1: Certainly I was looking at uh, uh, forest sustainability when I was in college back in the 1970s. Uh, It was a hot topic back then. Uh, A lot of the companies have achieved it very successfully. Uh, The planting that had gone on prior to that, which is now – Been coming to fruition for more than 40 years is that uh, you can certainly develop a forest to produce the paper that you need without uh, clear cutting vast swatches of land and uh, laying bare the landscape. So, Danny, congratulations on being uh, uh, involved in that uh, industry and the awards that you folks have uh, gotten, David, for uh, uh, Earth Color.
5: Yeah, thank you. And it's it's really unnecessary to damage the planet. You know, we can harvest uh, forests as a, you you know, it's a renewable resource, so we can harvest forests as a renewable resource just like we can a wheat crop and set aside areas for, you know, high conservation value for preservation and uh, conservation first and and still harvest for human needs. You know, there's a billion and a half people that still earn their living from the forests, uh, so it's a matter of really just managing our resources in an effective manner.
1: Uh, Danny, question for you: Why go green? What's the, what's one of the driving factors?
3: That's a great great question. I I look at a couple things. One, I believe it's one way of saving money. I look at the efficiencies of our facility, and we we moved two years ago from 15,000 square feet. To almost 60,000 square feet, and we were at one time using $88,000 a year of, of, of electricity, and now we're using $115,000 a year of electricity. But we we almost uh, we moved into three times the size of the facility. So by being wiser, we'll to save save money up our bottom line. Uh, the other thing too is I like putting an end product that actually has an, has a legitimate end game. Uh, I like being uh, one of the the leaders and being responsible for the type of products that that we are designing and manufacturing.
1: Yeah, I certainly agree with you there because it is is exciting to have uh, uh,
2: hands-on to a
1: product that you can
3: be proud that's uh, very green. Give us
2: an idea of what kind of products we're talking about, uh, Danny.
3: Sure. We came out with two different product lines. One is our uh, food service and caterware line. And that is actually uh, uh, compostable products for food service. So really nobody's ever catered to the caterers. And there's so many events, cocktail parties, graduation, birthday parties, wedding showers, that uh, collect food in these bowls, plates, dishes, and then ends up in the landfill. And so we designed a, a product really for these events, uh, these high-end weddings, birthday parties, wedding showers that will also collect the food and they, will, uh, they can be put in as organic food waste. They are BPI certified and they can uh, go over the food and, and go to an industrial compost site to uh, be turned into compost. Our other product line is Holman Garden line, which we actually developed um, pots and feeding sleeves for planting, uh, for actually planting plants, tomato plants, pepper plants, flowers. And we developed uh, one of the first ever plantable pots that actually feeds the root source. So this you can plant in the ground and it will uh, break down, biocompost and degrade over a growing season uh, while it adds nutrients to the root source.
1: Yeah, they're, they're very interesting products. I spent some time on uh, the self website to uh, kind of get a feel for some of those products. And uh, interesting read. It's, this uh, PLA I find to be a, a very interesting uh, product that you guys use in order to make those uh, compostable products. Yeah. Those are very neat. Thank you. Um, Kate, um I just want to go a little bit further into the Sustainable Manufacturer Network and, and some of the areas that you're involved with, with uh, manufacturers, because I see your, you know, air and emissions and energy efficiency and materials, renewable energy, wastewater. You really cover the, uh, a lot of ground there. Um, kind of walk our listeners through how the Sustainable Manufacturer Network can be helpful to them and. You even get to do a sales pitch, why they should be members.
4: <laughs> well, thank you. Well, first, you know, we're really in an educational uh, model. And, you know, you alluded to the topics we cover. We we are broad in that sense in that we look at sustainability uh, in that it's sort of six pillars. Um, would be energy efficiency, renewable energy, and those, of course, Generate uh, energy generates emissions, depending on how it's produced. And so, by reducing the amount of energy that a manufacturer uses, uh, they also simultaneously reduce emissions. We also another pillar are is materials, and a sort of twin pillar is waste management. Um, companies that manage their waste well save money. Um, you know, act in an eco-responsible way. And very often those materials are like the PLA that you mentioned. It's a a bio-based plastic, basically. And um, so basically by making um, green choices in their materials, you know, really looking at the entire life cycle of their products, they can produce products in an eco-friendly way. Two, Two other pillars are water water conservation, water recovery, water recycling, and air quality. Uh, the best plants out there really care about the quality of the, the working conditions for their employees as well as the quality of life for their, the consumers of their products. So a sustainable manufacturer would have good air quality in their plants, um, use, make good eco choices and their materials, manage their waste well, manage their energy well, and sourcing renewable energy is an important component of all of that. And of course, water has, uh, we're becoming more and more aware of the water scarcity in some regions of the world, um, even in our country, in the Southwest, in Brazil, in India, in China. Uh, Water scarcity is a big issue, and Many predict that it will become an even larger and, and more, um, more difficult issue, and so manufacturers in water-scarce areas of the world are really needing to recover the water they use, um, manage it well. Um, in some cases, even if the water, the incoming water supplies are not scarce, they may also have, may have restrictions on their water discharge, their wastewater discharge. For example, a company in uh, Tennessee, an automotive company in Tennessee, had uh, ample supply of water for its automotive processes. However, the muni- municipal wastewater plant limited and limits the amount of water they can discharge, wastewater they can discharge. They wanted to open a new automotive line, and it couldn't. Because they could not discharge any more wastewater to the municipality, so they went back and calculated how they could reduce the amount of incoming water that they use in their processes, and therefore the amount of wastewater they discharged. And were able to add another production line for another car. Um, you know, of course, in in the in the water scarce areas, um, India, for example, another automotive company in India that I just covered in a recent article uh, had determined that they needed a certain amount of water uh, from the available water, groundwater supplies, but were only able to receive one quarter of that amount of water for their production. Well, obviously, that's a big problem. They couldn't produce as much. They couldn't generate as much revenue, so they went back. uh, installed a number of water recovery systems, very good water recovery systems, and they were able to produce what they needed to, run their production at the volume they needed to with the water that was available to them.
2: Uh, Kate, uh, talking about your your segment here, um, are all uh, major manufacturing sect- sectors capable of achieving sustainable and green um, environment, uh, taking, into, and taking into account cost and difficulty. I'm primarily talking now about the small to medium-sized companies. Naturally, a large company has uh, uh, many more dollar resources to be able to do implementation, but the smaller manufacturer is, is obviously more, more difficult. Uh, are, do you feel as though that it's achievable? And maintainable.
4: I not only do I feel that it's achievable, I have reported and interviewed companies in, that are small, medium, and large that have achieved sustainability and really done so fairly easily. I'll give you one example, um, and I know that this gentleman wouldn't mind my mentioning his name. His name is Paul Rack. He's president of Veriform It's a small company, maybe 25, 30 employees in Canada. In the metals uh, fab- fabrication industry, uh, Paul um, said that he went underwent a kind of epiphany when his daughter was born. He really looked closely at how he was operating his plant uh, by implementing a number of energy efficiency, water recovery, um, materials management, initiatives in his plant. He saved millions of dollars and um, you know he tells everyone he's he's kind of become a spokesperson now for green in his region, and he tells everyone green saves money in almost every case, energy efficiency initi- initiatives save money, water recovery saves money um, materials management all of those things save money. There are a few instances in the materials uh arena. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Danny, you know, is aware of some of these where some of the emerging technologies like bioplastics may cost a little more at this point to purchase. Those will, That will change as uh, economies of scale come into play. But certainly energy efficiency initiatives almost always save money. And uh, some of the low hanging fruit that any manufacturer could reach for and, and reach, achieve a very quick ROI are things like lighting upgrades, particularly if they're using HID lighting. If they switch to an energy-efficient fluorescent or LED lighting and daylighting, some of the great day lighting uh, fixtures out there are just amazing. They can achieve their ROI in a matter of months. Um, another really good one are variable frequency drives. Um, I, almost all equipment uses, you know, drives and pumps and valves. You know, a lot of that equipment, particularly variable frequency drives, can can net savings almost immediately. So,
3: so, Kate, so you <laughs> Kate, this is Danny. You you mentioned Hi, this some instance. You mentioned some instant savings. We had an audit done just on our uh, compressed air, and yeah, that's another they went great through, one. They went through and found uh, found leaks. And it's something right. that, basically, just on fittings. There's so many fittings on all the compressed air throughout an entire manufacturing facility. So they found the, they found it would cost about three thousand dollars to to repair all the leaks, but we'd save sixty-five hundred dollars in a year. And knowing
4: that example. you
3: literally that you literally have sixty-five hundred dollars that you're paying out to have air leaking out of your, your compressed air. <laughs> It is disheartening. So, that to me, that's return on investment in a half a year. But now you save every year, you save $6,500. So, to me, some of those are such low hanging fruit. You're, you're so pleased when those are brought to you because it's immediately, it's immediate savings, but also it's kind of a, a peace of mind knowing that the equipment's running how it should be running.
0: Absolutely. Well, so
2: I, I have a question. Uh, I'm a manufacturer, I'm in the Midwest, in the heart of the Rust Belt. My plant's been running for 30, 40 years. My father handed it down to me. All of this is not true. Uh, (laughs) Just a state of the story. Um, And uh, I don't know how to do that. All I know how to do is make the widgets that I've been making for a lot of years. Boring as it is, it generates an income for me and, you know, 30 or 40 employees. How do I get involved? Who do I call? I don't know anything about it. Are there well, consultants? Um, are there agencies? Uh, how, yes, how do I there go are. about it? There are a lot a of our listeners of, are in that place.
4: Sure. There are a lot of great consultant companies, and uh, what they'll do is go into your plant. One of the first things they'll do is go into your plant and conduct an audit. They call it an audit. Um and they basically, you know, examine every aspect of your plant and your processes and your operations. And, Danny, I'm sure you're familiar with this. And they can point out the inefficiencies. They can point out uh, room for improvement, particularly cognizant of the region you're in or perhaps the scarcity you're in or the challenges you're facing, and recommend uh, ch- changes, recommend those changes, Um and that is a really good place to start. That's a good gives you a good kind of blueprint. This is where I start. And some of those uh, audits will point to that sort of low-hanging fruit. And as uh, Danny said, you know, air compressors are a huge energy waster. Lighting, uh, uh, you know, different things like the variable fruit the drives. And so th- that might be some of the changes they recommend. And then they might even formulate a plan that allows them to allows a manufacturer to leverage those savings to then finance some of the longer-term projects, such as, let's say, a renewable energy project, a solar installation or something. Um, solar installations are generally the, – the photovoltaic solar installations are generally – a 20 have a 25-year guarantee. So after the uh, manufacturer would achieve the ROI, they continue to use that system for another – 15, 20 years. Well, maybe that upfront cost might be hard to come by, but if they use the savings that they realized in those low hanging fruit projects, it's fairly easy then to finance that.
3: The, the other thing, too, and not only are consultants available, but just your local uh, power supplier, energy supplier, um, there's a lot of incentives for them to. To assist in their community, I know there's there's federal there's federal grants and local grants to have the local um, power companies to get people um, more engaged and more efficient, and so they get rewards or they get tax credits, so they can find how le- they can make the local local manufacturers more efficient. Also, so I'd make the first call would be whoever you're paying your power to. I'd call them first. Yeah, and of course. Of- that's
1: a-
4: And also just to go back to our network, you know, that we are a resource. So joining our network, talking to other members, uh, reading the information we have available on our site and in our magazines, there's a wealth of information that, you know, what steps can be taken, and maybe some of those will really resound with each person in each company.
2: We're going to be taking a break in just a few moments. But during this time, uh, I would like if you all would give us your URL addresses so that our listeners can uh, connect and uh, get additional information direct from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So, uh, Kate, women first.
4: I'd be very happy to. Our URL is sustainablemfr.com.
3: Good, Danny? That is selfeco.com, dot com. And David? That would
5: be earthcolor, one word, earthcolor.com.
1: Uh, David, I want to go to you because uh, you also are involved in an area that uh, uses a lot of paper. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you use a lot of other products such as ink. Yep. Um, wh- what were your challenges as you began to make the transition from, you know, the old production methods to more green production methods?
5: Well, the challenges you you hit right away are, you know, you have existing infrastructure and, you know, substantial investments in place uh, that you have to find a way uh, to build a model. So you're looking at, you know, putting together a comprehensive business plan that's going to look at financial efficiencies, environmental efficiencies in terms of material usage, uh, time and logistics, looking at social impact. Uh, so you've got to be able to uh, put together a compelling business strategy uh, along with financial analysis on how are you going to replace your existing infrastructure uh, with a more uh, sustainable, leaner, more efficient, modern uh, of manufacturing equipment or footprint, and the associated supply chains that go with it uh, in order to make this happen. Uh, so it's all got to be done simultaneously. So therein lies the big challenge, uh, and it really does come down to a pretty comprehensive set of uh, process reengineering projects looking at existing technology, uh, you know uh, new emerging technology, workflow, redesign and reengineering working with suppliers, uh, and I can tell you, you know, your suppliers are not out there, you know, when uh, I want to reduce volatile organic compounds or hazardous air pollutants in this particular ink and coating, you know, your manufacturers are not sitting there, you know, what a fabulous idea, let's do it, you know. They're like, why do you need to fix it? It's not broken, it's working well. Yeah, it works, right. but it's it's harming the environment. Uh, You know, so, A, you have to avoid getting hung from the rafters (laughs) while you're trying to do this and, and, you know, work with these folks in order to uh, get them to understand where you're headed. And once they do, ironically, they usually end up, you know, reformulating their product and then offer it to everybody else as their core, you know, packaged product once they understand, you know, that, that this is not an exercise in tree hugging. It's an exercise in efficient manufacturing and producing Uh, good products that work really well, uh, better than the products we had before, but are more environmentally responsible.
1: David, at the end of the day, after you've gone through all of this, do you use it in your marketing and do your customers care?
5: Uh, We we do use it in our marketing, but the marketing has become an afterthought. Uh, So we started 10 years ago, you know, the recycling movement in, in the forestry and, and graphics movement was something about, you know, have a little recycled content and some soy ink uh, in your product. Today we have comprehensive, you know, completely vegetable-based inks on 100% virgin, uh, recyc- you know, non-virgin recycled fiber or or wheat uh, fiber, alternative fibers. Uh, so we've come a long way that we can actually kind of re-engineer these things Um and, you know, today I would say 80 to 85% of our revenue base are actively using our programs on a daily basis. You know, we're uh, working with, you know, Fortune you know 1000 companies, big pharma, big finance, consumer products, automotive, uh, big fashion and cosmetics. Uh, the, today they're very keen because they're trying to engineer sustainable supply chains themselves. The marketing actually came out of the fact that hey, you know, we've done all the engineering, or we continue to engineer our environmental and social metrics. We report publicly on, you know, carbon emissions, water consumption, uh, you know, pulp usage. Um, So we continue to engineer, re-engineer this. And as we kind of developed this and found that there was incredibly keen interest from our uh, client base, we, we suddenly realized, hey, there's a lot of actual value in terms of You know, the positioning of our brand, Uh, today. sustainable branding is actually an enormous movement within the consumable brand industry. There's a huge conference out on the West Coast this year, and and where brands are actually looking at, you know, building integrity into their value streams in terms of product, in terms of who they are as a corporation, what they value, uh, what they promote. So there's the tactical side of what is the environmental impact of all these products, and for us, it's their marketing materials. On the other side of the coin, it's what are we actually saying in terms of our communications, in terms of our values, in terms of call to actions for our end users and our cons- constituents. So, uh, you know, once you, you, the important caveat is you, that you actually make it real, uh, and and do all the engineering and program development. And then let the marketing value kind of, you know, just kind of flow out, if you will, instead of, you know, tooting your horn.
1: Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back to talk more about green manufacturing in just a moment on Manufacturing Talk Radio.
3: American Crane and Equipment
2: Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in special
0: manufacturing. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800. 800- 8600-9290.
3: American Crane and Equipment Corporation
2: in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call eight seven seven. or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com, or 877-877-6778.
0: How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification, fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
1: Everyone, the Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are here with uh, Danny Mishak, who's the managing director and co-owner of Self Eco, Kate Bachman, who's editor at the Sustainable Manufacturer Network, David Podmyerski, who's chief sustainability officer of Earth Color, and my co-host Lou Weiss, who's president of All Metals and Forge Group. And Lou, I'd like to get a couple of comments from you on, uh, on green manufacturing and what we're talking about today.
2: I don't get paid high enough for a few comments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've talked a, a, a lot about uh, about the green manufacturing and the sustainability and uh, uh, the ROI and so on. Um, and, and we did touch on the cost of getting involved. And, again, a lot of our listeners are the small and medium-sized companies. And... Uh, most of which I believe that we were talking about where it's being either self-funded or self-funded through uh, return on investment. That takes some time for you to see that kind of return. Uh, my question is, uh, does the government, U.S. government, uh, contribute at all to help support uh, the green movement, sustainability, and so on? Are there programs out there uh, I'm sure the SBA is involved to some degree. But are there any other uh, uh, programs that you know of, either government or even uh, private uh, banking money, that may be dedicated to this? And David,
1: that's an open question. First. I want to go to you first on this, David. Did you use any government funds in your uh, um, initiative to go green?
5: We we have been able to get, you know, some government grants in terms of, you know, switching as uh, – Kate mentioned earlier, from, uh, you know, lighting sources to LED sources. Um, But there, you know, so we have not used a lot of government funding, uh, but I've been involved with other, uh, you know, aspect projects of science that have come out of some of our initiatives uh, where there are, you know, development programs with the DOE, uh, um, you know, the the, uh, Department of Agriculture, uh, you know, if you're doing in, on the development side. Um, so there's more, you know, U.S. government programs that are more on the development side that are, you know, achievable through, you know, going through uh, the process for these programs.
1: Danny, how about you? I know you mentioned uh, some grants. So were were you involved in, in using any of those, either with uh, Vista Tech or Self-Eco?
3: yeah in general we you know for lighting upgraded lighting, a lot of rebates back on air uh, compressed air upgraded technology, we went from lava injection molding machines from hydraulic to electric uh, for for better energy uh, consumption or less energy consumption so there are some things there I think where they may be lacking being the government is the development of newer technologies I think just still the government has a hard time understanding what manufacturing is I mentioned on your last show that you know the local senators and stuff want to call our facility a factory and and I think we've evolved beyond in the factory setting with the smokestacks and so when we look at developing or R&D within manufacturing for green technology or the use of green technology I don't know if uh, the government is up to speed of where technology is. You start using methane gas to make plastic. I don't think the government's leading the charge on that.
5: Now, Danny, well, uh, we've had the same experience. You know, we're using a very innovative, cutting-edge technology called biooxidation. Uh, to uh, so where we still have off-gassing of VOCs from inks and coatings, we are using a an enzyme and biology process. To capture that air- airborne pollutants and not only capture it but completely neutralize it, uh, and we've tra- been trying to work. You know, because the, the government has no idea what to do with biooxidation as a ty- as a technology. They only know thermal oxidation, which is an incinerator. So all the regulations for the Clean Air Act were built in the 1990s around you know, you know incineration and. The, the laws and technologies still kind of written, uh, you know, to work within that framework. So they have no idea, you know, you've got to go through emerging technology permits and, you know, they have no idea how to place these technologies. So they're in some ways more in a, a hindrance than a help in order to kind of make the leap for these technologies.
3: Yeah. I look at for us truly starting Self-Eco November 1st of 2014 and having Five to seven patents pending to have branding website product in, in through production by March first of two thousand and fifteen i can 't even imagine if I needed the government 's assistance to help with it with the development process i mean it, it doesn 't it doesn't go hand in hand with trying to be pro, a product developer uh, which you really want to you want to utilize the speed to market when you need an agency such as the government it very, it's very it 's hard to to To, to part with them up front because of the 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 giant wheels that that are very sl- slow to turn
4: yeah, and I sympathize with manufacturers in that regard, particularly in terms of you know getting help with materials where manufacturers can get some help are um, tax rebates uh, sorry tax uh, credits from the federal mm-hmm. government for renewable energy and energy efficiency installations. I know of several manufacturers who have benefited by that. Uh, One of them being uh, Chrysler on the very large side. Another one being uh, Multifilm, a 50-person manufacturing facility in Elgin, Illinois. We are in the Rust Belt here, by the way. And another area, uh, states uh, themselves offer credits and incentives and rebates. Uh, You have to do a little bit of research. We can help you on that on our website. And uh, third way, um, the utilities themselves very often have requirements or just as part of their programs they offer energy efficiency programs and so manufacturers can get uh, rebates and incentives and big checks you know from many of the utilities that they source from. Um, there are some other ways of funding some projects that are a little more innovative particularly in terms of renewable energy installations and solar seems to be a real standout in that area. and those are power purchase agreements. Um, This is um, very often an agreement with the utility or with the company that installs it, and the manufacturer basically sort of rents the solar installation on their own roofs for a period, maybe 15, 20 years, something like that, and they uh, establish an agreement to purchase the energy from the power purchase uh, provider for a specified um, fee or cost, and you know, it's a stable cost that will last throughout the term of the contract, so they know exactly what they're going to pay for their their energy up front for that period of time, and it's it's usually at a lower cost than they're getting directly from the utility. Um, there are also some agreements, particularly in California, uh, that are based on the uh, the expected increase in value in the property, and um, so rather than you know, having to front the cost of the installations up front, they are able to um, borrow and then use that, that funding to finance those installations uh, based on what they think that increased value will be. So there, there are some real innovative ways of financing some things, and as I say, they seem like they're primarily in the energy efficiency and renewable energy field, and I, I feel for the materials people because there doesn't seem to be a lot of help out there for you. Uh,
2: to continue the, the point about the power utility companies, uh, why are the power utility companies actually helping? uh re- to reduce costs to their clients, wouldn't that affect their bottom line? Or are they it getting be- or would they be getting more quote unquote kickbacks from the government for doing this?
4: It does seem counterintuitive, doesn't it?
2: It seems you know, so
4: and normally Especially in, you want your Right. Well there are two reasons for that. Uh one, thirty eight states, I believe it's up to thirty eight, and David and Danny probably know about this as much about this as I do. Um the states have what they call uh, renewable energy portfolio standards. They require their utilities to source renewable energy uh, up to a certain percent. Um, in Iowa, it's very progressive, 25 percent um, by uh, just a few years from now. Um, New Jersey is very progressive. Uh, California, of course, um, and so those states, you know, actually require their utilities to source a certain amount of renewable energy. And they also, in some cases, have some energy efficiency uh, requirements for them. The other really big picture, the really, you know, the fundamental reason is nobody wants anybody to build a new coal-fired plant to produce more energy. Nobody really wants uh, to build more dirty energy power uh, plants uh, the nuclear energy power plants are in a moratorium. Uh, there's a lot of problem in trying to figure out how to store that radioactive waste that will last for, you know, have it has a 22,000-year half-life. And so the utilities themselves, for, you know, for image reasons, you know, really want to work within the confines of the infrastructure they already have available.
2: What are we going to do with all of our coal workers, which go into the millions?
4: You know, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the Theodore Levitt's very famous statement. You know, what business are you really in? What business are they really in? They're in the energy provision business. Right. They can generate energy from coal better to energy to, to generate energy from renewable, clean sources. You know, does a coal worker... What, does a coal worker really want to work in coal uh when they can if they can work in a wind industry or uh solar industry or hydropower or you know any of the other renewable biofuel you know is a, a great resource um you know what what in it, it, we've all we've seen a lot of transitions in our lifetimes right from of course. certain types of technologies to other technologies that produce the same results, but in a a better way. And that's really what we're talking about here.
5: Yeah, look, if we can really use this as a leverage point, uh, you know, for the manufacturing renaissance in this country, you know, if we can engineer around lean and green, there's no reason we need to be sourcing this stuff all over the world. And, you know, with all these externalities and pollutants and, you know, there's no reason we can't have a viable clean, lean, green manufacturing uh, base here in the United States. We're actually working with some nonprofits in Appalachia uh, where uh, if you're a uh, a landowner, you own 200 acres in in Kentucky, let's say, uh, the mining concerns, want to buy your land and, you know, plow the forest aside because they don't even care about it and strip mining for the coal. Uh, our coalition is actually buying the carbon offset value uh, working with the Appalachian Carbon Partnership and the Mountain Association for Community Economic Development where we'll pay okay for the uh, scientific analysis of the carbon sequestration value of the trees on that on your property uh, and then we will buy those, that carbon value in exchange for you not selling out uh, your land uh, and then the residual monies that are left over from the carbon assessment, we will fund your business model. So we have funded, for instance, a family that started an ecotourism business, put, you know, eco cabins on their property. Another one started a organic mushroom farm. Uh, you know, so we can trace those dollars right down to the family in an oppressed economic zone uh, where we can, you know, take the carbon value of their land and bringing external uh, resources from elsewhere in the country to help them uh, you know, develop a comprehensive community development program. So those are the kind of innovative programs that will help us kind of make that transition.
2: It's uh, very interesting. I haven't heard of uh, that uh, program or style that you just mentioned. Um, As we did in the first half of the show, we did ask you all to give us your URL addresses and for those who have just joined the show uh, and have some specific questions and issues they'd like to discuss with you, I'd like if you would, uh, Kate, and again, please start first and give us your URL address.
4: Okay. Thank you so much for giving me that opportunity. Our URL is sustainablemfr.com.
3: And Danny? Selfeco.com, S-E-L-F-E-C-O.com. And David?
5: Yep, it's earthcolor, one word, earthcolor.com.
1: Uh, David, I have to ask you about uh, paper being made from wheat straw waste. Yeah. Expl- explain a little. I find that fascinating.
5: Okay, so, yeah, so here's here's turning... Uh, the conversation on his head once again. So we worked very hard to develop comprehensive forestry programs, so uh, use of recycled content, make sure we're using sustainably uh, harvested forest land that's going to be there 5,000 years from now. So the next wave of this was what else can we do to take pressure off the world's forests? So we're working with a coalition um, to use leftover wheat chafe to make paper from. So today you can buy paper from us that's 60 up to 80% wheat fiber. Um, so here's the way the program works. So you're a farmer uh, and you've got 10,000 acres and you harvest your wheat. Um, what happens is you have all this chafe left over and right now, you know, you can plow it in for a certain amount of time. It's beneficial, but after that, it's really not. Uh, so what Many uh, areas are doing in Canada and the Midwest that they're actually burning the chafe. Uh, so you have all this associated pollution and carbon emissions because the farmers need to get rid of it. Uh, so we're like, time out, don't do that. Uh, we'll take the chaff. Matter of fact, we're going to pay you for it. Uh, you're going to get a second payday. Uh, so the farmer wins, the local community wins. We still get the harvested the food value. This is different with, with you know with corn. Fuels where we're harvesting the corn, we still get the the food value. We take the waste, we you know distribute it within a, a certain geographic mileage range because it's not that dense, uh, and we turn it into paper pulp fiber, and make paper out of it.
1: Very interesting. Can you do the same thing with uh, corn stalks, or do they use those for something else?
5: Uh, right now, you, you can do it. Uh, the development work. Uh, has not, you know, so each stalks, uh, there's a specific process by which, you know, because they all have, you know, kernels and uh, you know, different areas of of, uh, density in them. So you have to develop a specific process for each one, but corn would certainly uh, be worth doing. You can certainly do it with hemp fibers or flax, uh, you know, bagasse, which is sugar cane. So any cellulothic Uh, Fiber that you have in quantity, you can, in essence, uh, make paper from it.
2: Fascinating. That's that's something I would have thought of, Lou. Interesting uh, side note. Uh, I had been to uh, China on several trips over the years on business, and I've been there in the month of October, in farm country, and. there is without a doubt no way for you to be able to see the ground from 100 feet up. Uh, They are burning all of their uh, farm waste, Uh, thousands upon thousands of these fires going on to the point that uh, when I came home, I had to take all my clothes off in the garage and not bring them into the house and take them right to the tweeners because everything absolutely smelled from smoke. Uh, And that certainly is a, you know, big big pollutant in that part of the world.
5: Yeah, I mean, Uh, not only is it incredibly pollutive and harmful to human beings and any other species on the planet, it's completely ridiculous waste of natural resources. All this fiber is incredibly valuable to do all kinds of things with it. You know, it's the same concept of, you know, landfills you know the, the the concept of landfills in general is ridiculous you know there's an emerging science of biomimicry uh, where you know there is no waste in the natural world the fact that we have this you know throw it away mentality you know the day is going to be coming we're going to be mining our landfills for them for the you know the metals <laughs> because you know we just you know there's not that much metal in the in the in the, you know, crust of the Earth. That's just the way the universe was created, you know. Uh, but it's it's really just kind of nonsense and really just poor engineering in the terms of the way we have traditionally done things. And we're starting to really turn these conversations on their, their heads. You know, we've reached the, you know, biological limits of the planets, and we're, you know, killing ourselves and causing mass extinctions, and it really can't continue to, uh, go that way, and the great news is it doesn't have to. It's really just a matter of human will. This is not a issue of technology. It's a matter of building the will and the infrastructure, uh, just to change the way we do it.
4: You know, and that's, well, those are really great points. And what it, what really resonates with me is that uh, you know I think there's a sort of misperception out there that green manufacturing is you know this everyone talks about tree hugging and you know, uh, a certain affinity for a certain animal and things like that. It's really about maintaining the earth for human habitation. It's about, you know, the earth is going to keep spinning if we don't live here or not. Uh, the earth's going to be fine. It's really not about saving the planet. It's about saving the planet for human habitation, making, continuing uh, to, to, <clears throat> to prepare, to, to keep the earth in a... Condition that our our children, our grandchildren, our future descendants can continue to live here and and live um, the lifestyle that we have come accustomed to
2: well said well said we um, one of the companies that I visited was in uh, in China who uh, was a manufacturing plant and they had uh, furnaces and so on that uh, generates a lot of heat and Uh, they did use a lot of uh, coal, obviously. Uh, What he did was uh, he went and bought, in the month of October, November, he went and bought very cheaply all of the uh, farm uh, residue and built a biofuel generator uh, at his manufacturing plant. And it generated so much biofuel that he was able to spin off and feed some of it back to the town where they were located, where they could use it. So there are some people out there who are recognizing the uh, the capitalistic uh, purposes of having uh, uh, uses for uh, waste and what to do with them and so on where all can benefit.
1: You know, we've worked with uh, Thomas net for quite a while and uh, the Institute of Supply Management on uh, – some of the topics that they touch on and one of them is uh, bringing cool and sexy back to manufacturing and when you look at some of the things that Danny's been involved with that David's been involved with that Kate writes about this is very cool stuff for manufacturing Uh, this is where the millennials I think who have an affinity for the health of the planet and what they do to make a difference can be involved in manufacturing and, and make a significant contribution to the future by being creative and looking outside the box of how things have been done I think David you've done that exceptionally well in your operation of looking at other ways to get source for ink for paper for processes a uh, little wonder that you're getting the awards that you've gotten uh, yeah. anything else that you folks have uncovered that's kind of neat
5: yeah well look we've, we've uh, have all kinds of offshoots going, some, some of the basic science that we've done here with biooxidation you know, with consuming pollutants, uh, airborne pollutants, you know, it's, it's viable anywhere in hospitals to kill pathogens, anywhere there's off-gassing, you know, most indoor uh, environments are polluted, you know, we've actually pioneered uh, carbon capture technology, you know, this is all in the uh, confines of a mid-tier industrial printing plant. Um, You know, uh, so so we've done some pretty stuff that have, you know, touched way outside of our business and all the way uh, down to the molecular level at forest and chemical development and all the way upstream to fragrance development for our clients or, you know, product development at, you know, a large, uh, you know, multinational retailer. So it's just a matter of really – designing your thinking around, you know, you know, this sort of process engineering, you know, it's kind of coined sustainable design, if you will. Uh, So looking at every aspect from the viewpoint of sustainable design and engineering, uh, and then it's just a matter of what exactly do you do? 90% of it is the same. It's just the the final 10% that you have to kind of customize to exactly what do you make? Do you, do you, you know, make tires? Do you make pens? Do you provide a service? Uh, you know so it, a lot of it lies in really just education uh, and getting people to understand how viable and valuable this is as a comprehensive business tool. Uh, and, you know you can do it proactively or are you're going to do it reactively because you're not going to stay in business once your competitors get this and understand it and implement it. They're going to leave you behind, so it's pay me now or pay me later, you know, from my perspective of the world, because I think the train has left the station because there's enough people now that really understand how do we move this country forward in terms of, you know, the renaissance of manufacturing.
1: Right, David. I want to thank David Pajamarski, Chief Sustainability Officer of EarthCutler, uh, Danny Mishek, Managing Director and Co-Owner of Self-Eco, and Kate Bachman,
2: Editor of Sustainable
1: Manufacturer Network. And, Lou, us about next week's show?
2: Next week we have Brad Holcomb with ISM, the Institute of Supply Management, and our regular professor, uh, uh, on, uh, Sanford, of the University of uh, Arizona, who's our senior uh, correspondent on international inf- uh, uh, international topics so we're looking forward to having her there and uh, we'll see you next week
1: Uh, Lou great to talk to you then, and thank you everyone for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio the voice of manufacturing globally
0: thank you so much for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio you can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com